Hi there, my name's Willie Russo and you're listening to Interview with an Artist, the weekly show where we speak with a range of art world players. Melbourne-based maker James Price creates work that makes him happy and in return, it makes his collectors happy too. Hasn't always been this way though. James spent a decade in New York climbing the corporate ladder of the creative agency world. At 27, he found himself the manager of a team of creatives and a partner in a business. Sounds awesome, right? And look, some of it was. But there was also a part of James that wanted more. He wanted to be challenged and he wanted to learn. And ultimately, he wanted to get back on the tools creating. In today's episode of Interview with an Artist, we cover a range of topics, including James's decision to leave his high-paying, high-flying New York life. We talk about why he started painting under a pseudonym and how it took him almost 10 years to start making the work he wanted to make. And last, but by no means least, we talk about his deep gratitude and appreciation for his gallery relationships. There is so much in this episode, thanks to James's generosity. Now, I'm a big fan of the deep feelers and the big thinkers, and James Price definitely falls into that category. Check him out on Instagram at The Art of James Price. Now enjoy meeting the man himself. Thank you so much for joining us on Interview with an Artist, James Price. Uh, you are currently showing at Boom Gallery, and on my last check, it is just about sold out. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. It's been um, – I have a very good relationship with those guys. They're a terrific group of people to work with um and so and there seems to be a very good following of people who like what i do and, and what and what they do so whenever i have a show there it always seems to do really well but they're, they're just very supportive of me as an artist and it's a very um it's a really good relationship and i i'm very grateful to have them yeah and before we get into your um fine art life you spent about a decade, I think it was, working in New York for some of the biggest brands that everyone will know. Yes. Can we talk a little bit about your life then and who you were working for and what you were doing? Sure. So when I first went to university, um, I did a media course straight out of school and I and I didn't like it because it wasn't really hands-on enough for me. Like I'm a very sort of hands-on person. So I dropped out and I worked as a receptionist for six months, which as you can imagine was really successful and I was really good at it. Um, so then I thought, hang on a minute, if this is actually what work is, I need to actually figure out how to do something that I like. And so I went back and studied at the time what was called multimedia design, where I learned to make um, like CD-ROMs. Again, like so useful now, like such a good skill to have. Everyone's asking me for CD-ROMs. So... But in that, I kind of learned a lot about design and about, so it was sort of part of a graphic design course, but there was all this sort of technology. But in that, we learned how to use a, a piece of software called After Effects, which at the time was sort of a newer thing. And it was basically the start of using computers to do animation and what was kind of became motion graphics. So then I learned how to do all those things, um, went out to work for a year, did some sort of like industry-based learning at university and actually ended up working for a company here in Melbourne. Uh, and then never went back to finish my my course, to be honest. And then um, I just, I was sort of in my early 20s. I thought, I'll, I'll kind of go overseas. I'll do that thing that everyone wants to do. So I went to the UK and it was freezing and cold. Um, and I somehow ended up in Dublin, uh, in Ireland. And I worked there for 
a couple of years and it was really good. I did some really fun projects and worked with really nice people. And uh, through that, some people in America had seen some work I did and they asked me if I wanted to come to New York. And so I ended up in the States. And then after I was there for about a year, they actually asked me if I wanted to become a partner in the business and, you know, be their sort of like, at the time they called me the executive creative director, which sounds like um, I had a lot of responsibility and I did, but it was really, um, it was really terrific. I mean, the company at its peak probably had about 50 or 60 people working for us. So it was a big, it was a big thing. And it was, you know, like we were doing a lot of work for MTV and Nike and Adidas and Coca-Cola. And like we did um, some great stuff, really fun. And New York was a great place to live just because um, it's one of those places that draws people in. So everybody sort of knew there all the time. Like there isn't a lot of New Yorkers who you come across who have were born there and live there. It sort of draws everybody, especially at that age group, you know, like in your twenties, it's like so much energy and, and it was terrific. I learned so much. And then I did that for the 10 years and I was doing a lot of sort of advertising work and it was drawing, drawing in advertising work or more creative directing. Um, it was mostly well, because of the scale of business, it was mostly creative directed, but I did a lot of design, like a lot of hands-on stuff because I can't help myself. Like I'm very, I have to make things. So um, I was really involved in that. And it was probably, it was probably 50-50 sort of like overseeing everybody in terms of creatively overseeing them. And then 50% sort of like being what they call on the tools, like making the work. But it realistically probably needs to be like 90% overseeing everybody and 10% on the tools. But I just couldn't help myself. So which probably presented all of its own issues and everybody who worked with me probably hated it because they were like, oh no, it's just going to go home and fix it anyway. So I can imagine I was a terrible boss because I was only 27 when oh, I first Oh yeah, you're started. young. You're young. Yeah, I was too young. It would have been a nightmare. I'm sure everyone is like, that guy was a disaster. So, so yeah, so it was, I mean, it was amazing. I learned so much about, about working with other people and about collaborating on things and about sort of, one of the things I feel like I really learned was trying to understand why people are actually doing what they're doing in their career. And, and that's a really valuable skill when you work with other people, sort of understand what it is they get out of creativity and, you know, like what, what their desires are. And so it was, it was, it was brilliant. I loved it. But towards the end of that time, I just realized that that working in the commercial design realm in that way I was sort of at the peak of what I was going to learn because I had all these people who work for me, right? Um, which is great for your ego. Like, you know, like you go to work and the whole thing kind of like operates around you. And like, oh, hello, pretty- Mr. Price. Hello, yeah, Mr. Price. <laughs> exactly right. They're bringing me lunch and I'm like, you know, where's my salad? I'm throwing things across the room. <laughs> and it's all, it all sounds really, really great. And in hindsight, I kind of miss it. But huh. there's only so much you can learn in that capacity because everything you say is right you know great point when you're the boss everything operates around you and the amount of learning you can do in that capacity it's just not there like you just sort of I, i i became very aware of the fact that i wasn't particularly happy because i wanted to do other things and i didn't necessarily know what they were but i just felt like being in that space i was always going to be the guy that everyone just said yes to. And like, like there's no, there's no real value in that after a while. So, so I basically handed the keys back about probably about 10 years ago now, a bit less and moved to Australia 
and thought, moved home and thought, well, you know, sort of what am I going to do now? And I did various different things working in different industries and met a lot of interesting people here. Um, but eventually I just became more and more drawn to making my own art. Yeah, right. So was there a, was there a point that you call yourself a maker and I love that you're a multifaceted maker and um, was there a point that you were kind of making stuff that you were like, okay, right, this is my career now or did it happen a bit naturally? Like people just started buying things from you and you were like, oh, I can turn this into my work. I think um, it was a very slow process. Yeah. Right. So like for me, um, I, I had a, a really interesting turn about probably about five years ago, I got this project for um, a friend of mine who's an animator who I'd worked with on commercial things said to me, like, look at this sort of, there's this public art thing and like, we should put in for this. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, like, what do you want to do? And then he was like, I don't know. And then we never, he never really spoke to me about it. But the more I thought about it, I was like, this is kind of interesting. So it was for um, Transport New South Wales. And it was, it was making a big thing on a screen that was like a 23 meter screen that was being installed in a, in a train station there. And they were going to have all these different artists make work. And I thought, well, I could put in for something. And I sort of started to think about it. And it was, it, it was a really interesting project because it was, it tapped into all of my ability to kind of think on behalf of, other people's needs so that when you're a commercial artist you get really good at listening to all the things that aren't said when someone's asking for something you sort of you're picking up on all the other things and going okay they're saying this but they really want that and they need this and and you sort of you you formulate the brief and then that becomes the, the way you make the work and you're constantly listening to external voices and so when I when I did that project and then I did a bunch of public art projects after that it really helped me like sort of make the transition from working commercially to working as an artist, because it allowed me to, to make things still on behalf of other people and go, okay, like they, you know, they think they want this, but they really need that. And so that sort of started me making what people sort of refer to as like public art, or there was some sort of community collaborative things. And it was a really terrific period of time because I got to work with lots of different people. But um, as you can imagine, that all ended in March of 2020 and all of that work basically went away for two reasons. One, because obviously we can't be together. And so there was a lot of work I was doing through that period where I would go to a community, I'd work with a specific group and I'd make a mural or I'd make a video piece or I'd make something for them. But the other thing that happened, which was really sad, because, you know, in, 20, in 2019, I went to Queensland, South Australia, New South Wales and Victoria and made projects. And then that all stopped because all of those people who were commissioning that work then made it hyper-localized, which it, it, it's sort of for two reasons. One, because they it's most of the funding comes through local government. And so they need yeah. to make sure that they're looking like they're supporting the local artists. And, you know, but the other thing is, is that, and I, I was a victim of this too, you have a project that you're supposed to do in Queensland and you come from Victoria. Well, they're not letting you in there. So you can't do the yeah. project. Yeah. So it, it all sort of shifted. And it was fortunate for me because it sort of happened at the same time as I became more interested in my own art making for my own sake and trying to figure out what it is I really wanted to say. And to be, to give you way too much information, I've been working with, um, this is going to sound like a, like a I New love York, it. No, continue. I've, <laughs> I've been working with my therapist for a while about this because I yeah. really struggled with, 
um, with coming to terms with like having my own voice um, and what that, what it is I really wanted to say. And I put myself under a lot of pressure around it. And it was something that I just, I just had all these skills that I could do all of this work. But every time I actually sat down and thought about what it is I wanted to make, the, the initial part of it was always much easier to have happen through this kind of rebound effect where somebody would say, we need this. And I'd go, I know how to do that. But when you're an artist, you go, I need to express this. And so what I struggled with was actually giving myself the approval to go, it's okay for you to say what you want to say. That's okay. And it sounds really funny to explain it to other people because it seems like, you know, like why would that be a difficult thing to do? But when you've had the better part of 20 years of working before that, where you're, you're, you've conditioned your creative mind to work a specific way, the minute you get into that, you start to go, well, what are all the questions that need to be answered yeah. here? And they don't need to be answered. You're actually doing something purely for yourself. And so that's been a really, it's been a really slow process, you know, like it's been a really, it's been a pretty laborious. My boyfriend is like, why don't you just get on and start making things? I'm so sick of talking about this. But like, it's just been such a funny funny and it, it's one of those things like I'm 43 like it, and it's taken me really it's taken me probably the better part of 10 years to get to a point where I'm now making the work that I have really always had the capability to make but didn't really give myself permission to make if that yeah. makes sense it is so it's so interesting you say that because when I was reading the name of your current show in Geelong um, at Boom and it was um I want to be a trampoline or I tried to be a trampoline. Yeah, I think it's today I today I tried, today to, be I tried to be a trampoline. And um, before I had read through any of the show description, I looked through the show and I was just got such this feeling of joy and it was just, it's such a joyous, happy, beautiful show. And then when I read through the description and the thought process behind the name, I I just got goosebumps because you nailed it. Like, do you want to talk to us a little bit more about how that name for that show came into being? Yeah, sure. So, I I mean, I think I have um, – I try and give myself the sort of possibility in the work to, to, to sort of encapsulate something about shared experiences. And I think all artists are sort of trying to do that in some way. But I, I, I think what I'm trying to do at the moment is – I try and create these sort of, there's a lot of people or if they're not, they're sort of like, there's some animals in there and that's a whole other thing I've talked to you about. But I, I give I give myself the permission to make something that's pretty open and that, that people, and it's really interesting because when people see the work, their response to it is often like, oh, that reminds me of, that, that always reminds them of somebody. But the reality is, is the characters are actually almost devoid of a lot of recognisable feature. Yeah. And so... Um, I think there's something in that about you know how we all sort of see ourselves. But when I was making the work, I was just really thinking about how I, how how people react to the work, and, the, and I call it the communion. But the relationship between me making making work and the people who actually see it and how they feel about it, and the best way I can kind of encapsulate it for people is to, is to sort of say that I, I sort of think about it like I'm designing a book cover, right? Like I didn't write the book, but I can I can say something about the story. And you'll see that and you'll make your own story. And that to me is where the art happens, right? Like it's not about me saying this is, you know, this is the narrative around what happens. And I could talk to you forever about like narrative-based art and about <laughs> how like the contemporary world is in love with that. But 
But the reality is, is that for, for what I'm trying to do for people, I'm actually sort of trying to give them a kicking off point where then they go, well, how did this, how, and how, who is this person? And all of those things that they think about, that to me is almost more interesting than what I'm making. And so to keep it open like that, I think about how, like, and, and I talk about in the description of the, of the show, it's like, how are people going to bounce off this work? How are they going to have that reaction? What's going to make them feel a certain feel? And really at the moment, like I just feel like I just want people to feel happy. And I know that sounds really dumb, but like, it's, no, it's just it's such not. a, it's a it's hard so time. Nice. Yeah, it is a hard time. So is this your first solo? Uh, no, I had a solo exhibition last year, um, in about this time last year. And it was, and it was really successful, um, in terms of, I mean, obviously sales are sales, like, you know, the work is, is, you know, but it was really successful in terms of allowing me to go, okay, like I'm enjoying this, you know, like it's, I'm actually, I'm actually understanding kind of where this can go. And, and it sort of took a lot of pressure off me because it happened by, uh, a little bit by accident. Like I know the people at the gallery very well. They know I make art. They were like, look, we've actually had a cancellation because of COVID. Do you want to do a solo exhibition? And I was like, sure. Like, you know, and also I sometimes have thrived under the pressure of having to get something done. Okay. Yeah. You know, that's a very commercial way of thinking, right? Like th- that's how that world operates. It's very scheduled. And, and so like them saying to me, do you think you could put a show together in six weeks? And me going, yeah, sure. Like, because once I've said yes, then I have to do it. And then I, and then all of the things in my head that would, that, that make me go, is this the work I want to make? How's everyone going to react to this? You know, how do, how do, how does this work translate if you put it in all the things that I think about and worry about that don't make any difference to anybody. Right. All those things go away. Cause I'm like, you just need to shut up and start painting. So then I got on and made the work and, and it made me realize so many things having that show, but it, it really made me realize that like, that I actually enjoyed that process and that, I, and that I really enjoyed, seeing a body of work together mm. and um and that's one of the things i really like about the, the people at boom is they they show they still do solo exhibit because the solo shows are really a dying art form in the in in a lot of like there are certain galleries that are pitched at a certain level and it's really great that people can go and see those solo shows but like the work is ten fifteen thousand dollars a painting because they're operating at a certain scale but most galleries that are i think more in a retail way they don't have the space and they, they think about themselves more like a shop and so so like I, you know i'm very grateful for them for for kind of operating the way they do and and giving me the freedom because for me being able to see not that i've actually been able to see because of the lockdown but be able to see the pictures of all the work together i thought about the show as a show i thought about the experience as an experience as opposed to individual paintings of things yeah it's so beautiful. I strongly urge everyone to go and look at it because it is really joyous and it's really fascinating. You've got, you know, an interesting mix of like there are some ceramic plates and then there are these like then there are kind of more traditional painting drawing type works and then there are then there are kind of like cutouts. They're just awesome. Like how do you kind of decide on the the mix of the works? So the the wall sculpture stuff is real. Was re- it's. From, I don't tend to think particularly commercially when I do it, so I don't. It's probably not a good. I mean, I'm sure my accountant will be like, "Why?" But like, <laughs> I don't think about like this will sell, that won't sell. I actually thought about the show as in like, right, I, I, I've got all this work I want to make, right? But like at a certain point, a painting on a wall next to a painting on a wall next to a painting on a wall 
some of the some of the core of that gets lost. You know what I mean? And so I thought, yeah. well, how do I just break this up? And the plates were good. Like so, when I've done the plates before, I've noticed that that really happens. Is it allows it allows your eye to kind of rest and, and look at something in, in, in at a different scale. And then when you look at a painting again after that, and so I thought, well, how do I, is there a way for me to do that? And so I thought about, um, you know, like making something that was more sculptural. And then I realized that I'm not a sculptor. So I thought about making these sort of cut out things and, and, and I do a lot of like faces and stuff and I'm trying to be very resourceful with the art that I make so if I make something that I like that isn't doesn't necessarily fit into being a painting often those end up being a plate or now they end up being like a wall sculpture or something sort of because I just I just try and sort of reuse a lot of the things I'm I've got going on more because I think that's sort of important for me to acknowledge that moment in time where I made something then get it out of me and then it's gone and I kind of move on yeah. So, but the, but the show is very much being thought of as a, as a, as an exhibit, as a show, and not so much like you know a painting and a you know and and it's, which is funny because after it's taken down, everyone's experience of it will be the people who bought it, you know, will have those works in their houses as individual things. But for me, I knew that space at Boom as well. It's a very big uh, space. Yeah. yeah. And so I just thought like I need to kind of break this up. And I also I just wanted to challenge myself really. Like I just wanted to kind of continue to push beyond my world and go all right well I've been doing paintings and then I did the plates and everyone loved the plates and now I'm like well you know how do I push this further and and I think that's I mean I think it's important for every artist to kind of go you know what what am I doing I think sometimes it's actually difficult to be an artist in that I think you you have an expectation that you're going to have these like massive breakthrough moments you know where like all of a sudden it all crystallizes and I'm like that's just not how it works like the reality is is that like a one percent shift in your work is actually enough you know like you don't need to reinvent the wheel every time you just kind of keep pushing and you and I always think about like breathing it's like you you just want to expand enough so that you can expand a little bit more the next time you know yeah that's really fascinating I am um, I love that I love that analogy of the one percent shift is actually enough of a, a shift in your work um how did you get to know the guys at boom did we you just a regular kind of client and then got chatting with them or how did that like how did they know that you made that like yeah so this is a really interesting this is a this is this is this is going to get deeply psychological for a second here. <laughs> um I used to make work under a different name okay. so and partly it was because I was trying to separate my commercial practice when I was making commercial work from my artistic practice and so I got in contact with them the work is very different than the work I'm making now, like significantly different. Okay. So I used to make work under the name of somebody called Arthur Bannon, because um, Arthur is my middle name and Bannon is my mum's maiden name. So I okay. you know, was really creative and just it put works. those two together. <laughs> I, I, I've since spoken to the people at Boom about that and been like, if you're going to have a pseudonym, like make it really ridiculous. Like why is like, you know, like I was kind of annoyed at myself for not being more creative. But, and I, so I tried to create this real separation between my commercial work and my gallery work. Um, and then, so I went to them, oh, I'm going to say probably six years ago and showed them the work and they were like, wow, this is incredible. Like when, so I had a show at the, at the time, um, under Arthur Bannum. Yeah. And made okay. some, made, and then made some work for them through that period. And then I basically didn't stop making work for a couple of years, but I, held all the work back that I was making. I didn't want to have exhibitions. I didn't feel like my my artistic vision was was where I needed to be. And 
I told you it was going to be psychoanalytical. But I love it. I, but, no, keep going. But, I love it. But this. I, I think, I think a lot of it was actually to do with the fact that I wasn't very happy in my life, mm-hmm. and so I wasn't really moving forward with a lot of things in my life. And I, I felt like artistically, I wasn't in the place where I was able to kind of break beyond it. And I was over analyzing everything I was making, um, and doing a lot of comparative stuff where I was like, ah. well, you know, like. And I'd look at other artists and it'd annoy me because I'd look at the work and then I'm like, well, I'm not making work like that. And I'd be, it, it's very, it was very, and so I did, I, I, I sort of cut myself off from the world in a way. Like I didn't have social media. I didn't have, not a Facebook person anyway, but I didn't have Instagram or any, I didn't want to look at other artists. And I just, I just sort of kept making work, but I didn't want to show it to anybody. And that went on for years. And yeah, and so they knew me through that period and they knew yeah. that I was still making work and they would hassle me about making work for them because okay, yeah. because they're like that. They're, they're, they are quite interested in, in in artists that they believe in and they and they push you and eventually it got to a point where they sort of kept pushing me and, and, I, was, and I kind of went through that period and came out a much happier person and started to make work that I liked and it wasn't overanalyzing all the time and was just allowing it to be what it is. Um, And so like, you know, like I can't speak highly enough of them as people for that. But I also think that oftentimes people think about gallery experiences from an artist's perspective as being kind of very commercial. Um, And my relationship with those guys, I'm more than happy for them to be very successful from the work that I sell because they are a big part of the reason why I'm able to do what I do. They kept saying to me, have you got anything you're making? What are you making? You know, like they stayed on my case and they, yeah. and it was through a period where I didn't realize I needed it until I got to here where I'm doing it easily. And it's, you know, and, I, and I'm enjoying making the work and I look back and I go, Oh, because they sort of stayed on me. And they, and so, yeah, that, that was a, that was a, I'm, I'm very grateful for those kinds of people. And it's really important that we have galleries where people can show their work, where people are supported like that. And I think some of that stuff gets lost a bit, um, in the commercial realities of, of life. But, uh, you know, like that, that, they really did support me through that period. That's so, it's very cool. I've heard other people speak very, other artists speak very highly of the Boom Gallery team. So yeah. it, it, it sounds like they're a great, great um, organisation and group to be amongst. Um, is there one thing that you wish someone had told you about working in the fine art world now that you look back that you've been in it for a few years? I think everyone's journey to be an artist is sort of, is very different. So the, the thing that, that, that I needed to hear, it's not, I don't, I, I mean, I'm sure people would have told me this along the way, but it's, it's about the being, you, you've got to be in the right mental state at the right time to actually absorb the information. But I think one of the things that I think is important about being, is, is to sort of realize that ultimately, um, I'm not going to say aim low, but I think you have to understand why it is you're making the work you're making and the feeling that it gives you. And so for me, if I sit at home and look at the work I'm making, and then sometimes I run YouTube videos in the background, right? And then there's these YouTube videos come on of like somebody who's having a solo show or like a career retrospective at like Mona and they're like at that, that Mona in New York. And they're like, you know, 47 and I'm like what the like and it's really easy to beat myself up with that information and go well I'm never going to be there and that's not going to be 
But I think the thing is, is that I am making work that on a day-to-day basis, I actually very much enjoy making. Like I very much enjoy making, doing the drawing, the prep work for the drawings that then become the paintings. I quite enjoy the actual process of painting. It's very good for like slowing my mind down and just, you can't do much but paint when you paint. So you've just got to sort of stand there and like control your breathing and, you know, not ruin something. So I think the, the the best advice is is always to just do the thing that you're going to do and allow it, give it the time and space to, to allow it to grow into whatever it is. And a big part of that is is just saying yes to things, you know, like sometimes people will ask me about doing something and I'm on the fence about it from a time commitment perspective. And then I think, well, will the work be good or, you know, will I enjoy the process or, is it, or are these people that I could learn something from? And then I say yes to it and I learn from that. And I think that's the that's the thing about being an artist is, is it's a very holistic thing for me. Like I think about it as a whole of life thing and it, it, the freedom to say yes to things and the freedom to do things on your own terms is very important to me. And so that's the thing that I take out of it. It's, it's, you know, I wish somebody had said to me a long time ago, you know, commit to doing it and commit to doing it your way and understand that that'll have its own challenges, but it also have massive rewards in how you think about what you're doing every day yeah yep um do you remember the first piece you sold in your fine art life yeah i do actually it was at it was it was at boom years ago when i was working under a different name and it's funny actually because it's it, it didn't fill me with joy it actually made me very anxious what kind of work was arthur bannum painting so I actually made a, the first series of work I ever made. It was so different. I, I should send it to you. You'll be like, whoa. Um, they were like charcoal drawings, but I burnt through the paper where the, of, of, where the eyes were. And then I inlaid butterflies' eyes, butterfly wings, where the eyes are under the glass. It was quite elaborate work in terms of like, the process of doing it. The outcome not, like, was, was quite graphic still, but it was very different. And it was very, it was, they were pretty dark. I was going to say, sounds quite dark. I'm, I'm getting like, I'm just getting a little bit anxious hearing you talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, that's where I, I mean, that's where, that's what my head's And that's where you like. were, yeah. And I think at the time I was also looking at a lot of other artists and, and comparative shopping and I was going, right, like how am I going to fit into all this world? And I was seeing like big institutionalised artists, like artists who've had like big success. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of melancholy in this and there's a lot of, and that's how I felt. And so I, I made that work. And when I, when I sold that work, I think I, I just, A, I kind of felt like a fraud. And B, I think on some level, I was aware of the fact that making that work wasn't actually, it was, it was expressing something about where I was, but it wasn't making me happy. So that's yeah. the thing that's really interesting about the work I make now. Like the reality of it is, is, is that like, I spend most of my time like looking at pictures of naked people and going, Oh, how do I draw this person in a way that's kind of interesting. Right. And like, that's a pretty good job. You know, yeah. like it's like, I, I, I really enjoy that. I, I get a lot from it. I, you know, the process of doing it is the only thing that actually matters. And I, I think it would to answer your question before. That's what I wish someone had told me. Like right. if you, if you're a musician and you just sat in a, in a cave and played music to yourself and it made you happy, great you know like it doesn't really and so like it's and it's very important to not be all about sales 
because there are like in my last show I made I said I was going to talk to you about this but I made a terrible mistake and I painted some dogs right okay and everybody loved the dogs like the minute the dogs went online in the sale it was like they all sold within like an hour, right? And then I got like 25 DMs on Instagram from people being like, I need a dog portrait, how much to do? People offering, like throwing, like I'm not joking, throwing offers of money at me, like large sums of money to paint dogs and whatever. And I just was like, and again, it made me anxious. And I was like, I don't want to be, because I don't want to make, I don't want to have the voice in my head that says, oh, if you make these, they'll sell. Yeah. I just want to make the work that I, and I, the, like, you know, like, friend of mine always used to say like you know like it's better to you know die on your feet than it is on your neck like don't give in to go oh the market wants you to paint dog paintings because the market didn't even know a month ago that i was making dog paintings doing dog paintings (laughs) so like do what it is that makes you happy and that's the that's its own reward and focus on the reward of that and i do like i really like what i'm doing I, i i get i get a lot of joy out of it and then the weird thing about that again psychoanalytical is that comes out in the work. So if I'm happy, you said to me, oh, it makes me really happy when I look at the work. And I'm like, oh, well, I wasn't really intending to do that, but you're picking up on something that's happening for me that is then happening for you. That is the art. Like that's where the art actually exists. It's not about like painting a particular figure. It's about that weird relationship. I often say to people like art exists because language isn't enough. Like I could describe something to you, but it doesn't, there's something that happens that I can't, it's an intangible and that's the value of it. And that's, so that's why it becomes such a holistic thing for me. If I'm happy, I make happy work. And then people seem to respond to that. And, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. What do you do to get out of a creative funk at the moment? Uh, That's a, that's a very good question. So I'm usually doing, I usually try and start projects that aren't about, my exhibition process so i i just started a project that where i was going to make paint birds and put them in a quite famous painter's works as like and make like a like design thing and like do all this stuff and i went through the process of doing that i actually went actually I just like these as standalone things and then they'll probably become paintings and it allowed me to go right like i was putting myself under all sorts of pressure about going what am I going to do now that this show's finished? What's the next thing for me? If I stop putting myself under pressure and just go, actually, I just, I'm going to try and do some small thing that's probably not going to end up in an exhibition. Then all of a sudden from that comes all these other things. And so one of the things I've learned is to, is to just try and take the pressure off. Now I've vocalized it to you. So I'm now I'm conscious of the fact that I'm, I'm going to have to come up with a different plan to do that. Okay. But like <laughs> but knowing that, that that's what you can no like again it's like setting the expectations low on something and and ultimately trying to make something purely for yourself from that comes all these other things yeah so that's what i do all the time and the other thing i do is i i listen to music a lot of music and i think about what the artist is trying to do with their music and yeah, like that's okay. such a important i actually use music as because you can tell from when i was talking about things that were making me anxious before it's like creatively it's very easy to compare yourself to people right so i you know i I really struggled with that over the course of honestly i feel like i built a whole section onto my therapist's house (laughs) just for that problem alone james welcome good to see you again (laughs) exactly she's like have you seen my new car yeah family wants to go overseas (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. so 
when you know, like it's it's my right. I now start to think about music because I don't understand that as an industry. I don't understand musicality. I don't know how no like so. But so when I think about music and I think about what an artist is trying to do musically, it breaks all of the kind of commercial realities of things. And and I just think about you know the sound of what's happening there and why is that working and the texture of it. And and I then I try and sort of think about what I'm trying to do with my work and it just allows my brain to break. From doing all this comparative stuff and worrying about everybody else, and you know, it, it just brings me back to going, oh, like it's about this moment and making this thing. Yeah. Who would you say is your biggest fan? The person who's been your biggest kind of cheerleader. Um, I would always say, uh, well, there's there's two groups of people. One one is my mum and dad. My mum is creative person she paints and um she's done all sorts of things over the course of her life um but they have always been very good at uh i don't i've never felt any great pressure around who i was going to be i've put myself under pressure that they are like why are you putting yourself on this is weird like just chill like um that's just my nature and it's taken me a long time to kind of learn not to do that but they've always been very supportive of me like when i said to my mum a couple of years ago like because when I was working commercially, I was making good money, you know, like that's yeah, the thing that yeah. nobody wants to tell you about that industry, but like you can make really good money and yeah. um, winning yourself off that is really hard, you know, like, you know, like you start thinking, well, like, how am I not, how am I going to live if I don't spend, you know, $500 a week on sushi? And I'm like, you'll probably be okay. You know, like <laughs> there are other foods, <laughs> you'll be fine. So like, and when I went through that process, I had a conversation with my mum where I actually said like, I don't know how to do this. Like there's no roadmap for an artist to go. And I looked at people and I'd often say, oh, they must be a trust fund kid because there's no way that they're like, they're selling work and they're making money, but they are. And, but I didn't know that you don't, you know, when you go and work for another company, when you work in a corporation, you start at the front, at the front desk and then you're like, you see the corner office and there's all these, this pathway of, and so you, you mimic everyone else's behavior to get to where you need to get to. When you're an artist, there's no visibility on how any of that stuff works. There's like, you know, I'm, I'm in this industry and I still don't know how some people get their work in certain things. And I, and, you know, like, and, and, and those things don't necessarily make sense. So it's a very uncertain field. And when I said to my mum, like, this is what I want to do. She just said, well, if anyone's going to figure out how to do it, you'll figure it out. And I was oh, like, she's a good woman. I was a little mad at her. Cause I was like, can't you be like, you know, not supportive <laughs> of me. So I've got something you're, rail against in the world you know like but I, I think that's sort of that's how they've always been you know like they've just been like well you know you and I think they know me to, enough to support me and then the other person who supports you is my partner because he supports me in a very different way in that he lives in a studio basically like I'm hopeless with work like I make stuff and then like half of it's in like the living room and then like you know like there's I'm sitting in my studio and I'm gonna say it's in the house and I'm gonna say I spend maybe a quarter of my time in here and the rest of the time I'm like I'm out there, the TV's on and I'm painting something and then I've got something else in the corner and I'm like, don't step over there. And like, you know, that, that isn't easy, but he's very supportive of me as well. And he helps with my over, his favorite saying when I'm painting something, which is he walks past and he says, are you staring at that until you hate it? And I think, yes, I am. Like I need to step back from it and not worry so much about looking at all the problems with something. And then just not look at it for a while. And I come back to them and go, oh, it's actually pretty good. You know, like, so, yeah. And, you know, lots of people have been 
really supportive of me over the years. I just think, um, I think it's, it is a difficult industry in that, in that there isn't, like we talked about before, there isn't, a, there isn't breadcrumbs to get to where you need to get to. And the other thing is, is that I don't even know. Like, so I'm 43. I'd like to be doing this for another 40 years. What does it look like in two years time? I have absolutely no idea. Like I have no idea. Like I'm not aspiring to go, I want to have my work here and I want to have my, what I want to do is be in a place where I'm making work that I like and I'm basically, you know, able to continue to do what I do. That's a really amorphous thing in the world, you know, like it's a hard road for people and it's, and, and it's easy to put yourself under all sorts of pressure about what that means, but it it's, it's, it's really rewarding. Like I really enjoy it. So it's worth it. You know, it's yeah. just, but it, but it isn't, it, it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't feel like a career Yeah. in, in that, you know, like you don't project forward. Yeah. And particularly because you've worked in such a, you know, professional career environment, right? It's not like you came out of art school and then just went into like an artist's group and yeah, start like you've worked in the corporate sector where it, yeah. there is, you know, those ladders and you've climbed them and you've had the success and you've had the team. And now it's kind of like you making yeah. all this beautiful work. But yeah, exactly. What does that look like in two years time? Like, <laughs> who knows, yeah. hey? No, who, and, it, but, it, and learning to live with that is okay. And, and it, it's actually quite good because it took me a long time, but it makes you go, Oh, well, if I really think back, I didn't know I was going to be here two years ago. So I don't really need to worry about, like, I've got enough skill that I'll be able to do something, you know, like if you see me on the corner, I'm doing that like sign spinning thing they do to promote like car washes or something, you know, the painting's not going very well, but, but James, like, <laughs> you look familiar. but like, um, you know, it's, it, you just, you know, you just gotta, you just gotta, you gotta be okay with uncertainty. You know, I think what, that's the interesting thing about the pandemic is I think, I think it's actually taught a lot of us that like, there's so much uncertainty and, and that's okay. We're going to have to be okay with that. I think it's Albert Einstein said that it's not the smartest people who survive. It's the ones who can adapt. Yeah. And that's, I'm, I'm sure I've butchered that quote, but it's something. <laughs> yeah. But that's just a good point. I'm like, like giving yourself permission to go, well, I don't really know, but I'm going to stick at it. Yeah. That's hard, but it, you know, it's very valuable. Yeah. Um, if you could go and work in the studio for one day with any other artist, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, good question. Um, painters are really boring. Like to watch work. Yeah, like I know, I know you'd be chatting with them, right? <laughs> Most of them don't want to talk to you when they're working. I don't want to talk to anyone when I'm well, like, go away. <laughs> turn the music up um i think I'd, i th there's a lot of people who i'd like to to ask about their i mean there's a there's a los angeles based painter called jonas wood who's quite well known who's all of a sudden his work gets ripped off everywhere but like his his career trajectory i find really interesting but that like that's the thing is is that i quite like his creative process if i but to be really honest with you if i was gonna I'd go and work, ask another i'd want to go and talk to a musician okay because I think, um, I think I get more out of that in an abstract sense. You know, like asking a painter about how they paint is, is I know I can see. You know, like I, I like I look at someone's work and I know exactly a the materials they're using, why they're doing it that way. 
um, and so it doesn't necessarily enlighten me as much as, as as talking to somebody in a similar creative field who's doing something that I could probably pick up from. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I definitely would talk to I talk to some musicians about because it, because I think the things you'd want to ask another artist are things that they might not necessarily know. like. How do you become somebody who paints in your studio to then having like these massive shows where your work is well? Most of it is to do with undoubtedly there's talent involved but it's also about being in the right place at the right time and there's a lot of intangibles and those aren't things that I can control and so I can learn that that's what somebody what happened to somebody else but it doesn't actually enlighten my experience of being here because I wasn't in that period in time and I wasn't there doing that and like so like I know a lot about Matisse but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's there's much there that's of value to me because a lot of what happened with his career was actually about him being at sort of the vanguard but also being in the right place at the right time but also people being able to capitalize on that financially so like I don't know if I'd get much from that you know yeah no you're the second artist I I asked Brett Weir who's a um he's a beautiful Victorian painter abstract and he said Jimi Hendrix Jimi Hendrix sorry yeah right like, I'd be cool with meeting Jimi Hendrix too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd tag into that. <laughs> um, what's the one thing in your studio you can't go without? Um, paper. Paper? What was because, your last? Oh, yeah, sorry, go. Oh, just because everything, everything starts as a drawing. As a drawing, okay. Everything's a drawing and paper is cheap. And so it's where I make the best mistakes because I'm like, Oh, what if the, you know, what if the hand goes here and that like, by the time something is a painting, it's very crystallized to me about how I'm going to do it. When something's on paper, I'm like moving things around and like, you know, what if this goes there? And like, and so I like that. That's the, almost the funnest part for me. Yeah. What was your last art store splurge? Okay. So we're we're living in the age of click and collect, which I think is, terrible for art store people because you go into the art store right and then you're like oh i didn't know i needed one of those but yes i need i need one of those and whereas clean collect you're like very pragmatic it's like <laughs> I, I need those two colors and that and then we're done sure they absolutely hate it um i'm, I'm I ha- okay this is so me I'm, i haven't actually bought one yet but i'm thinking about buying an ipad to draw on um for two because reasons everything currently drawn analog everything's drawn pencil yeah paper old school um one of the reasons is there's a lot of paper in the house and if i'd like to sustain a relationship uh, i might need to look at having less paper in the house so i'm thinking about buying an ipad pro and like doing some drawing stuff on there just because it you know and but i'm i don't know i like i'm I'm somewhat reluctant about it because i'm like will it change the way i draw it's a different experience like i know from doing that stuff like so um that might be my next big purchase but I but I'm still on the fence about it because I don't necessarily want to change what I do and tools are like that they can't you don't know it but over time you realize like they do change the way you work mm. yeah what would you say has been a tool that's changed the way you've worked most recently in the last couple of years um I think it's not necessarily a tool but the limitations of color for me mm is is like something that i'm acutely aware of like i you know like because i paint with such large flat colors it's so much easier for me to buy a consistent color and then that that um so mixing color is has very frustrating limitations in terms of if you don't mix enough and you get that wrong then you're like oh no i've got to remix that paint i've got to try and make it exactly the same because they're pure flat and i'm very annoyingly specific about 
the flatness of the white. So I paint with acrylic gouache, so it's really flat. And yeah. I like the surface to be like, it almost like people, somebody's commissioned me to make a painting for them recently. And they asked me after I'd shown them the, the mock-up of how the work was going to be, they asked me when and where I get it printed. And it occurred to me yeah. that they had been thinking, oh, these are like, this is like a one-off print or something. And I was like, well, that's kind of a compliment in terms of the way I try and work. So, um, but yeah, so, so the limitations of color are, are always an issue. Um, but I sort of feel like I'm going to back myself in and buy a whole bunch of paint and then, and, and then make a lot of, of mixes yeah. of paint so that I've got enough. Yeah. But you know, like it's, but that, that also makes it limiting in terms of the way, the way you work, but yeah, I'm, that, that, that's, there are definitely limitations in terms of t availability of tools like that. Yeah. Yeah. And one last question before I let you go, where would you like to see your art take you in the next couple of years? If you could pot it, plot out a path. Um, I, for reasons that we've talked about, don't try and think that far ahead, but, um, I would like to be in a position where the scale and scope of the world that I occupy continues to expand. So what I mean by that is if I think about, if I think into the future about what I want to achieve, I don't think so much about, you know, having a show at a particular gallery or, you know, or, or you know, selling work at a certain price. In, in fact, when I think about price point, I don't actually, I think about this all the time, but like my, my work is relatively well priced. I think, I mean, I still think it's a lot of money for people to pay $2,000 for a painting. That still is a lot of money to me, but um, I don't necessarily want my work to be worth 20, 30, $40,000 because it makes me sad to think that, that there's so few people who can afford that, you know? And I also know that working commercially, the more money, involved the bigger the pound of flesh right so that so the expectation then doesn't just become about them buying a thirty thousand dollar painting they also want their pound of flesh so they also want to come to the studio they want to know all about you they want to feel like they've got something very special they want to maybe go out for dinner with you all of this stuff and i'm like i don't want to do any of those things i've already eaten you know like none of this sounds like fun to me so you know like so i don't necessarily think about success probably on the same way you can tell I'm not particularly motivated by money, which is terrible. But <laughs> no, it's I, not terrible. It's very refreshing. Can I, I tell of, you, it is very refreshing. Okay. Well, speak to me in a year and a half when I'm spinning signs out in front of the Domino's pizza and you'll be like, that didn't work out so well. Well, you did it. Um, yeah. So when I, I think I always want the, the, I want to expand what I'm doing, the, my world of possibilities to expand what I'm doing, whether that's like I just finished a big mural or like, you know, doing more of that kind of work or, and I, I also want to be able to look back and go, Oh, I didn't think I'd end up here. I think that's that I actually really enjoy that. Like, so if I think about like, you know, three, four, five years in time, like what does it look like? Well, hopefully it looks like something that I haven't really imagined yet. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. You know? Because if, if I can see the future and I'm working towards it, I, I don't know if that's that exciting for me. You know, like, I don't know if that's, that's just not, I don't think that's how my, my brain operates anymore. I think it's, I like to be surprised. And then in the, in the surprise, I, I think that's where I feel renewed by it. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. James Price. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It has just been such a delight speaking with you. Yeah. Thanks. That was fun.